if I were giving any advice to people that were, you know, a couple of years behind me looking at doing this, I think like plan on that, plan on hiring so, like a highly capable person to be there absorbing the day-to-day stuff and doing the hiring and firing and handling customer and, and employee issues, unless you want to be doing that. But if you don't want to be doing that, like plan on hiring a capable person to do that. I think people underestimate it. And I think people don't bake that into the, their financials either, you know? Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, we have Jacob Lee. Jacob owns three Cent Howe locations and is on his way to building an empire of 10. He left Boston Consulting Group a few years ago and jumped directly into franchise ownership with Scent Hound, which is a new and fast-growing dog grooming franchise. Jacob tells us a lot about what it was like going from business school to high-level corporate consulting to considering a search fund and then ultimately deciding on multi-unit franchise ownership. I think you're going to love this conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I'm impressed with how Harry is helping franchise owners. Hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on one powerful platform that's used by over 50,000 locations today. Visit harry.com and tell them the wolf sent you. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. We were just talking about you working at BCG, Boston Consulting Group, and now you're into franchise ownership with Hound. Before we get to when you made that transition, I guess what for you as like from a personal perspective got you thinking, hey, corporate consulting, I'm sure you were paid well. That's a very top tier consulting firm. What was causing you to start thinking about a totally different career path? Well, man, first, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited and honored to be on. For sure. I think it probably started like a lot of things early in life. You get kind of a bug planted in your head and the environment you're brought up in. My great granddad started a business in 1947, I believe, maybe 46. And it's still in my family, still run by my family. It's in the home services and HVAC industry. And so my grandfather ran that business, my dad, not my twin brothers there. And I don't know, I just always was around businesses, blue collar businesses. And I guess my vision of what success looked like was owning your own business. And I guess I started realizing in college, into my first job, into business school, and then especially BCG, like the owning your own business, the ability to have an impact on employees' lives, the ability to have an impact on the community, be your own boss, like set your own schedule. And then, you know, have the the success, kind of like the, the visual success of your own work, all those things really started to appeal to me. I guess by the time I left BCG to to do the Sinthound thing, I felt like I was finally prepared. You know, I graduated from college with an engineering degree, worked 
in engineering for a few years in the nuclear power industry. Went back to school for my MBA at UVA. And a lot of guys and girls, especially these days, are going straight from business school into doing a search fund, like searching for a business to buy. Yep. And hopefully some more people will get into franchise businesses in that world of search funds. But for me, I looked at those people and I was like, I'm not ready. I was just an engineer. I've only got a couple of years of like business training. I don't feel ready to go start a business or own a business yet. And so I think the few years that I've spent at BCG really, a lot of people ask like, what about consulting is relevant for running dog grooming shops? And not a lot when it comes to like the actual knowledge, you know, um, or like even strategy or investing, like that's a very small part of, I guess, running a small business. But I think what working at a place like that does is gives you the confidence to know, okay, if a tough problem comes up, I can figure it out. A lot of the projects that I was on at BCG were industries or functions that I really didn't know a lot about before jumping in and you just figure it out. You know, you get a couple of weeks and like we were talking about doing these expert interviews, you get on the phone with a bunch of experts, you learn about the company, the industry, and then yeah, before you know it, you've got a pretty strong grasp on the problem and a solution. And so that really gave me the confidence. And so like my entrepreneurial bug finally caught up and I felt like I was prepared to make the jump. But so yeah, uh, July of 2021, signed up with Scent Hound. Amazing, man. Oh, that was probably a, a, a long answer to your question. But <laughs> yeah, well, super interesting, even regarding your family. So your great-grandfather, was that just like a contracting business in the HVAC world or was it a different kind of business? It started as a refrigeration service. So it started in his basement. He used to go around and service um, refrigerators and then over the years expanded into different lines of business. And today it has a residential HVAC plumbing electrical business. It has a large construction business. It does, you know, this subcontracting work for large projects like high rises and hospitals. And then a service business that has service contracts for, you know, the mechanical service on on a bunch of different types of facilities. So changed a lot since then, but still kind of core blue collar type work. No, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I used to uh work in, in that world. So uh always always curious to learn. Oh cool. Yeah. Uh, I worked for a supply house. That was it was it's actually it's a franchise slash co-op called Johnstone. Okay, yeah. And uh, yeah, that was my first taste of, you know, I worked under a multi-owner group. They had four stores. And then from there, they went, I was with them from when they went from four stores to eight stores. So that kind of kick-started my whole journey. But yeah, so I guess back to you, as far as your search and kind of having that entrepreneurial bug, did you consider other paths? Did you try the traditional search fund route or was you always going to go into the franchise realm? Yeah. So a, a little more detail on the story. In business school, we had a guest speaker that came and shared his story of graduating from Darden where we were at school, working as a consultant for five years, and then yeah, quitting his job, searching for a business, buying this business that built it was a steel fabrication business. And then since then has bought three or four or more. And at the time I was like, that is what I want to do. You know, I want to pursue a path like his. I want to be in small business. I want to be not traveling. I want to be not in the boardroom, not in the corporate world. So BCG, a friend of mine from business school, Brett, and I started talking. He actually went to Auburn where I went to undergrad, but we met in business school. 
And we started talking about a year before we did the sit down thing and talking about what would it look like to go into business together. And yeah, it was really focused early on the search fund model. So we quit our jobs. We started doing a search for a business here in the Birmingham area. Really only spent a couple of months kind of initial conversations. And one of them was with my brother-in-law, who is an investor, and a couple others. One was a guy at Rourke Capital, and I met with a guy at L5 Capital. Those are both in Atlanta that are investors in the franchise world. And so we learned about this whole world of franchising. And I guess I had all these thoughts before about what franchise businesses were. And I was tainted, to be honest. Like I thought, you know, if the market's efficient and there's really an opportunity here for investors, like why is it that franchise businesses seem to be, you know, middle managers quitting their jobs to go be their own boss? You know, I just had this misconception of what franchise businesses were. But yeah, when I kind of learned about the first thing I learned was just the unit economics. Like you could build, if you look at like a brick and mortar multi-unit concept, you could build a store for two times or three times stabilized EBITDA. And in the world of finance, that's like a phenomenal return on invested capital. And so that was like the initial kind of like data point that really got us interested. And then we were like, okay, let's put our search for a traditional business on pause and let's look into this whole franchise thing for a couple of months. If we spend a couple of months and it is not that interesting, we can go back to the traditional search. But so, yeah, we kind of treated it like a full-time job searching for concepts and I, we could talk about the search, but yeah, we used a bunch of different methods and mechanisms to, to screen concepts. And then after two or three months, ended up signing on with Hound. You definitely got put in touch with the right folks between uh, Rourke and L5. Uh, those are two of the biggest heavy hitters. And I also just think, you know, probably some of the best executors in terms of identifying solid franchise brands and helping them grow. And obviously they've gained quite a bit of value from those investments. But yeah, I mean, do you want to walk us through your franchise search? Like how did you attack it, right? Because um, I mean, so folks, we're recording this on Tuesday, May 30th. We're a week into, you know, I just launched Crockett. That's K-R-O-K-I-T.com, uh, which is a platform where it makes franchise research really easily. But this was before that, you know, a few, uh, over a year ago. And so, yeah, like how did you even just attack this world of like, you know, the thousands of franchise brands that are out there and starting to narrow it down to what eventually was Scenthound. Yeah. Well, I think first, I think your product you're developing is going to be awesome. I think there's a massive need for it. And we sort of like tackled it like we would have tackled any research project for my partner was in investment banking and I was in consulting. So it's like, what would we have done at our jobs before? We would have like you often say picking the, the right concept is about 90% of success in franchise. So we're like, okay, <laughs> if this is like the key to success and everyone keeps saying this, like let's invest the time and energy doing this. So yeah, we like kind of hold up in my, I have this garden shed converted into an office and we kind of hold up in there for three months with a whiteboard. And we just, you know, started with different sources for ideas. We talked with Every smart person we could get on the phone with that was at all related to franchising. We got on like the websites of all those firms, those private equity firms that buy franchisors, and we like pulled all their lists. And at this stage, we're just kind of like gathering names. We went to, 
you know, like Franchise Times and a lot of those lists and just kind of like scroll through. I think our initial, you know, there's thousands of concepts. So our initial screening that we were drawn to, I guess one of the early concepts that got us interested in franchise businesses was Orange Theory Fitness. And they kind of have that brick and mortar multi-unit model where I think stores are you know, probably half a million dollars to get open and can earn up to $200,000 of EBITDA. So we're kind of looking at that style franchise business, a brick and mortar. And also, so we use that as one of the screen criteria is like, what's the return on invested capital? What's the overall investment size? And then obviously like, while we'd love to go to these mature brands that have, you're really buying into a strong brand power. Like a lot of those brands don't have available territory in the markets that we want. And so it had to have enough available territory for Brett and I to sign on and create a business that would sustain us. So you kind of had to really start looking at up and coming franchises. So yeah, we got our list and then we started to whittle it down from kind of qualitative discussion. And we got down to you know, 20 or so names. And we set up calls with each of them. We started doing calls with franchisees. It was during COVID. So we were able to do like the discovery days virtually for a lot of these. And Sandhound actually did not come from any of those sources. Sandhound came from a colleague of mine at BCG is the franchisee in Charleston. And I remember her doing something, but we were looking at another business, Dogtopia. And so I was like, I remember... Tara doing something in the pet world. Let me call her. So I told her, she told us about Sinhound. And yeah, that kind of evolved a parallel with a lot of other concepts. And then at the end of the day, for a number of reasons, like that one rose to the top. Uh, well, definitely interested in diving into that, but curious about, and I'm not asking you to, I, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what you think of them, but yeah, like Dogtopia is a brand that has been from a unit growth perspective doing very well. But yeah, what were your thoughts on that brand? And, you know, did it come down to available territory or was it something with, you know, it seems like return on invested capital is a big factor, naturally, as it is for most people making an investment of this size. Um, yeah. Like what was the thought there in Dogtopia versus a set hound? You know, Dogtopia made it down to like our top five. So of like hundreds and hundreds that we looked at. So we loved it. And yeah. Well, the presentation with the management team, we were super impressed with the CEO and the VP of sales. Like they seemed to have like a really high quality management team and investor base. You know, I think like the investor base gives you some confidence that they have some staying power and the model was great. I mean, I think they're serving a need for pet parents that is currently underserved in high demand. And like what we love about pet services is, you know, dog ownership as a percent of households is increasing and it has been increasing for decades. And then spend per dog is also increasing, has been for decades. So like that was kind of one of the lessons I learned from a really smart investor friend told me, you know, like that one factor of like investing into an industry that has like secular tailwinds like that is really hard to understate. And so, yeah, that's why we love Dogtopia. I think it came down to one in Birmingham where we're focused. There's a lot of great competition here and there's a lot of activity, a lot of new development in the boarding space. They're about to open this business called Pet Paradise down the highway. That's like a $5 million or more 
facility that's got like swimming pool. I mean, it's a behemoth. And so, yeah, the competition is pretty tough and that's a little scary. I mean, I, I know that a lot of people discount competition, I think in the franchise world specifically, like people like to, I don't know, for some reason, oh, we're special. We're snowflake. We're different. And on the mind of the consumer, what does the consumer think? What do they care about? I think, you know, when you boil it down, a lot of these boarding places probably, yeah, they have different levels of quality. I I don't know. So just the fact that there are a lot of high quality competitors coming in was a little scary. And then, yeah, the return on invested capital was lower. Like it's a bigger investment. And the ramp to get to, at least based on the FDD numbers, the ramp to get to profitability was longer. And that profit level was just lower relative to the size of the investment. That's kind of what I've seen for Dogtopia. I do love that they're transparent with their numbers in the FDD. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it can be quite a large investment. And getting more and more because you're so sensitive to price of construction stuff. And so yeah, but these tenant build outs, if that's a big part of the investment, like, you know, a 10% increase on a big number is a bigger number than a 10% increase on a small number. So I'm super impressed with how Harry's is helping hospitality owners. With Harry, you can hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on a powerful end-to-end platform. Join over 50,000 restaurants and hotels across the globe who use Harry to save labor costs and reduce risk through employee engagement. Created and run by passionate industry experts, Harry understands hospitality. Stop struggling to retain talent. Create great employee experiences. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. It's not even just competition that matters. Like, as you said, like that, I mean, that obviously does franchise competition, but also like, you know, there could be a mom and pop player in town, depending, regardless of what industry someone's looking at uh, for a concept could be, you know, it could be opening the hottest new burger franchise. But if there's some local staple that your town just loves this one one off business, like you've got to factor that in to your franchise search. And not only that, but available territories. And, you know, this is actually not to plug Crockett again, but we built a mapping feature into it for that reason. And, you know, I've been on Twitter, I have this kind of, it, it was meant to be a joke of a tweet originally, this pie chart where it's like, you know, how to be a successful franchise, franchisee 101. And it's just a pie chart where it's, you know, 99% is red, 1% is yellow. And both colors are just, you know, pick the right brand, which matters. And I think you referred to that earlier. But again, the location of like what sites are available in your market because the reality is if a competitor who is maybe they're only 90% or 80% as good as you and your business and your customer service, if they happen to have the best location that is so much more convenient for people, and obviously there's a lot of variability in this, you know, what franchise, what's the service? Is it dog grooming where maybe the pet owners really care about their dog and want the best service? Or is it I'm stopping in for a quick bite to eat? Like the location matters a lot is the reality and convenience matters for the customer. And so there's a lot more factors than just the franchise brand. It's yeah, it's also what penetration does the competition have already in your market and what sites are available. One more point on that is I think as brands become more mature, obviously the best sites are already picked over in like a general, like central Alabama, you know? So like we talked with some concepts and we love the concept and they're like, 
yeah, we've got availability in y'all's market. We got one store that's like an hour and a half in this random, like random suburb off the highway. And then we got another one like hour and a half that way. And so bad site, they've already sold 75 or 80% of their sites. And so they're like kind of on the tail end of like the worst sites probably on their map. And then also you got to think about the operations and like in our business, we're a people heavy operation and the ability to have the stores close together and an area manager can hop from store to store, like and visit all of them in one day and share employees and all that stuff. Like that's a huge factor in the success of your business that I don't think it's easy to ignore that factor when you're, you know, on a whiteboard kind of looking at the numbers, but yeah, those kind of things really come into play later on. I think that's also just speaks to the benefit, as you said, of uh, jumping into an emerging brand that you can build out the prime markets versus, yeah, if you're coming in later, they might be trying to sell you tier two, tier three, tier four markets, which not to say that you can't make money there, but if you're looking to build like a serious empire, like I, I think you're signed on for around 10 units, right? Yeah, we're signed on for 10. Yeah, if you're just kind of piecemealing the, the, the leftover markets, that it's a lot tougher or it could take a lot longer. So yeah, that's another reason why the emerging brands can be a benefit to people. But for you, when it came to SetHound specifically, obviously a dog grooming service, I believe a membership model, correct? You know, yeah. What in particular, I mean, I, I love the background you gave on the pet industry from number of pet owners, dog owners specifically, and then also the amount people are spending on their dogs. I know it, all my friends who aren't married, or honestly, no one, only one of my friends has kids so far, but like everyone else, everyone's buying dogs basically my age. <laughs> Not even about married, honestly. It's just a lot of people who are single just have dogs. And uh, yeah, so it's definitely gone through the roof and millennials are leading the charge there. But yeah, was there anything in particular about the model and like their monetization that, that really attracted you to it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just kind of give you the overview of like the pitch of sound. So we're a dog wellness center. So we're more focused on the health and wellness of your dog, a lot of groomers traditionally are focused on the haircut. We serve all dogs, so you buy a membership. Ours in our town is starts at thirty five dollars a month. It gets you a bath, ear clean, nail trim, and teeth brush, which are kind of like the basic hygiene that every dog needs to stay healthy. And a lot of these things, like pet owners, don't really know that their dogs need their ears clean, but like actually they do to prevent them from getting infected. They don't really know that it's important to trim the nails, but if the nails get too long, it can create a lot of problems with their walk and everything. So yeah, like we're, we're more focused on the, the health and wellness, which again, as pet parents, we call them are, you know, seeing their dogs more as like children, basically, like, of course, they're going to want to care for them and keep them healthy and, and allow them to live longer, better lives. And so we love kind of the match of the focus on health and wellness that St. Helen provides and the trend of like, like we read some survey, I think it was like a veterinarian group association that ran a survey and it was 90 plus percent of dog owners view their dog as a member of the family. And so like, you know, traditionally you go to your vet once or twice a year, you might get your dog's haircut every few months, but you're not really focused on these other elements of health and wellness. And I think Sinhound really solves for that. So we love that. Honestly, when it comes to competition, there are other businesses in this world that do dog grooming, but it's not their focus. So, you know, Petco, PetSmart offer 
a lot of the services that we do, but it's not, first of all, it's not really packaged in a way that's convenient. It's not a membership that on an app, it's not the easy button for dog owners. It's kind of difficult. You got to call, they never answer the phone. A lot of their employees are contract workers. So they're not even employees. They get paid a cut of the grooms that they do. They don't really. And so like, all I have to say, Petco PetSmart are like primarily retailers. They're not focused on that. We're, we're, our whole business is set up to service dogs grooming. And so like from the layout of our store, we have a front desk and we have just the training. Everything is focused on that one mission. And so I think we execute and deliver a lot better than the big box and other you know boarding facilities also offer. But a lot of times the boarding facilities just for the dogs that are staying the night that want a bath before they leave. And then the mom and pops, you know, there can be some great mom and pops, but once again, they're more focused on the haircut. They're more focused on doing these like kind of show quality breed specific haircuts. And a lot of our customers, they just want a clean, nice looking, well looking dog. And they're not, they don't want to shell out 200 bucks to have like this breed specific cut. And so, yeah, we just felt like there was a real gap in the market and then the final bit of diligence that I did before signing on was I just called every single provider of dog grooming in Birmingham and Nashville, which are our two markets that I could find on Google. And like, as you can imagine, half of them didn't answer the phone. Of the ones that answered the phone, probably half of those said like, we're not even accepting new customers because we're so busy, like call back in six months. And then the other one was like, yeah, we can get you in for a groom and like, eight weeks. So like the demand is clearly here for what we offer. And yeah, I think it's up to us to deliver a great customer experience, make it easy and do a good job for our pet parents. And remind me, because I know you said it earlier, what year did you officially open store number one? We opened store number one uh, about 14, 15 months ago, February of 2022. Yeah. And then store two opened in November of 2022, but then store three opened about a month and a half ago. Oh, nice. Okay, so you're you're up to three already. That we're early days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Uh, that's great progress, man. Well, okay. So now that you're kind of on the, I know you still got a ways to go, and you got big plans, I'm sure. But now that you're you're in the thick of it, right? So like, uh, <laughs> what's been like is you know if there's someone listening to this who's really thinking about buying a franchise. Is there something that like you didn't know or anything you learned, whether it's about Senthound or just being a franchise owner in general, like that you're like, yeah, I guess I wasn't prepared for that, you know, anything like that? Yes, there's lots of things. <laughs> a couple that come to mind are if you're going into this to be a shop owner or an area manager, like kind of a role, if that's what you want your job to be, if you just like what, you know, you're. You want to be in the store. You want to be greeting customers. You want to like, that's your dream. You know, you love dogs. Then I think doing one, two, three stores is a great path. I think if you want to be like a lot of guys and girls in the search fund world, like, or a lot of guys and girls like on Twitter, if <laughs> all you like, they want to like build a business that kind of operates on its own and has systems and processes that exists outside of you as the owner and that can the business can run without you being in the store. I think you need to have some threshold of units in order to support the necessary overhead. And this is obvious, but I think people forget it. And so I think like for us, having at least five, six, seven stores is probably the minimum that you would 
want to have to support a really quality sort of general manager over the whole business or over the area that can manage the day-to-day fires. And we've found that we hired a guy who's our first manager for the first store and stepped up and he really just goes above and beyond in a lot of ways, but he stepped up and become our area manager is really like my right-hand man to run the business. And so I think if I were giving any advice to people that were, you know, a couple of years behind me looking at doing this, I think like plan on that, plan on hiring so, like a highly capable person to be there absorbing the day-to-day stuff and doing the hiring and firing and handling customer and, and employee issues, unless you want to be doing that. But if you don't want to be doing that, like plan on hiring a capable person to do that. I think people underestimate it. And I think people don't bake that into the, their financials either. You know, what else? I mean, I think site selection is huge. I think people underestimate that. I think people like franchisors have some guidance on what makes a good site, you know, like go into a public anchored shopping center. And I think sometimes franchisees will take that advice and say, all right, if I can stick one in a public anchored shopping center, then it's going to succeed. But I think there's a lot more to it. And we actually invested in a tool called Placer. Oh yeah. Placer. Yeah. They, they like estimate foot traffic and shopping centers and they provide a lot of like really rich demographic data. And I mean, who knows like what, how much of our success is due to that. But like, if you're weighing two sites and you have a ton of information that Placer can provide you to help make that decision, like that's worth a whole lot of money because you're signing a five to 10 year lease. You're on a 10 year franchise agreement. Like that's a, that's a pretty important decision. So I completely agree. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Ben Little, who owns 14 Zaxby's and he said on this podcast, because he's a big believer in picking, you know, A plus locations. And uh, he said, he's like, you can pay for a location once or you can pay for it every single day. Yeah. So it's definitely uh, important to get right and at least do the market research. So, yeah. Well, look, man, uh, it was cool to talk with you. You know, uh, for folks who don't know, Jacob and I connected before he jumped into Senhound and when I was just getting going early on with my content. So it's cool to see now we've both made some good progress since then. But yeah, man, you know, super, super cool to see what you're doing with Senhound. Uh, wishing you all the best to see you keep building out that territory. And if there's folks who want to reach out to you, follow you on- online or your Senhound locations, is, is there a good spot for that to happen? Yeah, man. I'm not super active on Twitter. I'm more of a consumer, not a producer, but I, Jacob Lee 295 is my Twitter handle. And then if people do have any questions, they can send me a note at jlee at scenthound.com is my email. But yeah, I've enjoyed this and it is kind of cool to see in a couple of years the progress we made, but hopefully still the early stages. Hopefully uh, we'll talk in 10 years and <laughs> a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure, man. All right. Well, um, yeah, guys, we'll plug that email in the show notes. And awesome, man. Uh, Yeah. Thanks again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.